Uh, if, you're, if you're a guest of ours today, or maybe if you haven't been here the last couple of days or last couple of weeks, uh, we're working our way through the first giving of the law because uh, we are going to, we are headed towards Deuteronomy, which is the second giving of the law. And so we're, we're kind of trying to understand why and what that first law was all about, uh, the first giving of the law. And so if you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you if you would join me. Uh, we're actually not going to go to Exodus 20. First, we're going to begin in Exodus number 6. Exodus chapter number 6. is, uh, And we'll, it'll be a few minutes before we get there. Um, today, just to warn you ahead of time, you know, there's a lot of people who go to church and, and their desire is, okay, pastor, let's open up the word. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. What do I do when I leave this place? How do I live differently? Today, I'm really not going to spend much time telling you how to live differently. I am going to tell you why we should be different. And it has everything to do uh, with our great God. Now, for those of you who are, who are adults, how many of you uh, remember being a teenager and having your parents sit you down and give you some sort of talk about, okay, so now that you're going overnight with some friends or you are going to be headed off to camp, these are some expectations I have for how you're going to act when you're not in my presence and with your, when you're surrounded by your friends. Any of you ever, your parents ever sit you down and say, all right, let me tell you how you're supposed to live and act? Okay. Um, have any of you that are parents, have you found yourself repeating the same thing that your parents told Yes, we have a lot of nods, yes. If you're a teenager here, would you say, how many of you would say my mom and dad have turned into their mom and dad? Any, uh, oh, my daughter, of course, raises her hand. Thank you so much, Trinity. Great. <laughs> uh, so this is, this is a picture of uh, Jamie and myself and my mom and dad. My dad is the one who always delivered the stirring speech. Uh, he'd walk into my, my room, and basically he would have me sit down on the edge of the bed, and it usually was before an overnight camping or overnight sports trip or, or if I was going off to camp or something like that, and he'd, he gave me the same speech every time. It was always short, and it was always to the point, and it was simple. Hey, boy, remember your name. It's literally what he said. Remember your name. Sometimes he would include, uh, it took a long time to make the name Hassie, a good, give it a good reputation in our church and community, but you know with one decision, you could bring it all down. Remember your name. That was literally, that was my, that was my, uh, my speech, uh, that was my warning from, from my father. And you know what we're going to find out today? That's what, the, that's what God told his people to now, I want you to keep that in mind as we go through Exodus uh, chapter 20. So last Sunday, if you, if you were with us last Sunday, uh, you would, you, hopefully you would remember this. If you weren't with us last Sunday, I, I mentioned that in the Hebrew scriptures, uh, we actually never see the words Ten Commandments. They're the Ten Words. So, so what that does is it gives us an interesting approach. So most of us, uh, we, would, uh, we would begin the Ten Commandments with the words, Thou shalt have no other gods. Before me. However, the Jews would begin the ten words with, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt from the house of slavery. Now, now if we approach it with 
the word from the, from the idea of these are the 10 words, then we're beginning to see a little bit more of what we've tried to understand the last two weeks, which is what happened at Sinai was far more than God saying, this is what you must do. This is God taking a people and saying, I want you to be mine. I want to marry you. I want to be the groom. I want you to be my bride. These are the vows of covenant that we are going to exchange. But something so interesting in the first words of Exodus chapter 20, verse number 2, when God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. From there, he goes straight into, thou shalt have no other gods before me. He doesn't explain why he brought them out of Egypt. But he doesn't need to explain that because he's already told his family, his, his, his people why. And this is why I asked you to turn to Exodus chapter number six. So, so here's something just so cool. I wish I had time to tell you. I will have to get into this some other Sunday. But Hebrews chapter, or sorry, uh, um, uh, Exodus chapter number six, what we're about to read this passage, it's so cool because it's in a structure of writing that is hidden all over your Bible. But you and I, looking at the English, we wouldn't necessarily see it as clearly as those who would have read the originals, right? And it's in a structure that's called a chiasm. Now, a chiasm is, it's put into our Bibles so that we see, we take, take a passage and we see what's the middle point. Like, what is this all driving at? For example, in the, in the Torah, in the first five books of the Bible, it's all one big chiasm that leads up to the center point. The center point of the Torah is the Day of Atonement. So cool. But there are so many little miniature chiasms within the Torah and what we're going to read in Exodus chapter 2 is one of these chiasms. And I want to show you what I mean by that. Because here's what we're going to do. We're going to begin in verse number 2. And in verse number 2, you're going to see him. You're going to see God say, I am the Lord your God, or I am Yahweh, right? And then in verses 3 and 4, he's going to talk about the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's going to talk about the land that he promised them. We get to verse 6, he's going to talk about, I brought you, I will bring you out from under the burdens. And then verse 7 is going to encapsulate the center point of the chiasm. This is why I've just written everything that I have or why I'm saying everything that I have, because I want to be your God, I want you to be my people, and I want us to know one another. And we know it's a center point because now we're going to back out of what we just walked into, because I'm going to bring you out from under the burdens, and we're going to go to the land that I promised the fathers. Oh, by the way, I am the Lord. Yahweh. It's so cool. It is. It's so cool. Look at verse number two. Let's read it together. It says, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. Verse number four. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Verse 5. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Now, here's the middle. 
I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Now we're going to back out. Who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians? I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Okay, was that cool? To see that structure, can you nod your head just so I know? Are you guys awake, right? Okay, all right, all right, just making sure. All right, I know, like we tried to make a cold in here, just acknowledge, just keep you away. Uh, so, so, so we see the centerpiece. Now, we're going to pick up the centerpiece. Was that me? That's the Lord, right? Uh, we're going to pick up the centerpiece that we just saw. I am the Lord, you will be my people, right? And I will be your God. And we're going to walk that centerpiece over to Exodus chapter number 20 which is where we're at. So let's flip, flip, and let's go to Exodus chapter number 20. Now, while you're flipping, last week, again, if you weren't here, you wouldn't have heard this. If you were, I hope that you would remember it. But last week, we talked about how there's a little bit of a debate amongst uh, whether the first two commands is, we know them, I, uh, you shall have no other gods before me, and you shall make no graven images, whether are these two separate commands or are they basically one command saying the same thing? And the reason that this debate is open is because uh, you could not worship another God if you did not have an idol of that God. So in essence, when they're saying don't make another graven image, if you're going to make a graven image, it's because you're going to worship it. And you can't worship another God if you don't have a graven image. So that's why some people would, would take those two commands and bring them together. Now, I'm not trying to advocate one for the other. I'm not, not at all. But I do want to take that approach as these two commands, all meaning God wants to be our God. Let's, let's just take that approach. And we're going to read the first six verses, or chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 20. We're going to read verses 2 through 6. And we're going to read it together as one unified statement. I will be your God, right? So look at verse number two of Exodus chapter 20. And remember, we brought this, we brought, remember what we brought into this, that the centerpiece of leaving Egypt is so that God will be their God and that his people will be his people. Look at verse two. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So that sounds very familiar, right? We just read that in chapter six. Now he says, you shall have no other gods before me, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Verse 5, you shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love uh, to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Okay, so if we were to take those verses, verses 2 through 6, and summarize it all, Basically, God is saying, I want to be your God. I brought you out of Egypt. I have brought you from the land of slavery. Have no other gods before me. Make no graven images because I want to be your God. Does that make sense? Okay. But remember, we brought the centerpiece from chapter 6 in here. He wants to be our God, but what else? I will be your God. You will be my people. So let's see if what God says next has anything to do with you will be my people. Look at verse number seven. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. 
Hmm. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Does that sound like, and you shall be my people? I mean, it doesn't really sound like that. What does that even mean? Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. How many of you have, have grown up kind of hearing or, or even having been corrected when, when someone would use the word God next to the word D-A-M-N? Like they would say, God blank. And, and, and I've been in places where people are like, hey, 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 don't, don't take the name of, of God in vain. How many, of you, how many of you would be familiar with that? That's not, that's not a new concept. Okay, just, just check it. Can I, ask, can I ask you to consider a question while we're looking at this, this verse? What is the name of God? So if we're not supposed to use the name of God in vain, and someone says, God, D-A-M-N, are they using the name of God in vain? Is the name of God, God? I mean, in, in the Hebrew, the name God would be El or Elohim. But El and Elohim was not used for just the God of Israel. It was used for every God. Any spiritual being was an Elohim. Just like there's many fathers in here, right? Well, my daughter, if she were to say father, which she does sometimes in her, in her British accent, do it for me. Father, there you go, yeah. <laughs> she sometimes wants to get my father. Uh, now, if she were to say that, like she is talking to me, right? And we know that. But the name father is a title. It's not a name. If she were to walk in here and say, hey, dad, like how many men would turn around and look, right? Even I went to a family reunion once, and every ball that we were marking, every ball that we were playing with was marked Hassie. What, what good does that do when, like, 15 families are named Hassie, right? Like, so just because there's a name, like, so, so the word, the name God is not his name. So this, this command can't be don't say G-O-D-D-A-M-N, and that's exactly what it means by don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Or you'd say, well, oh, pastor, what about this, though? Like, Jesus Christ, right? We, there are people who use the name Jesus Christ in a very negative manner. Something goes wrong, and they say Jesus, and they say Christ, and they don't mean it in a good way. They're not glorifying our, our Savior. Is that what it means to take the name? Because that is the name. Is that what it means to take the name of the Lord thy God in vain? But let me ask you to consider this. How long would it be before an angel would come down to Mary and Joseph and tell them that this child that's to be born, you shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins? That would be thousands of years later. So this command also, although I am completely against anybody using the name Jesus Christ in a negative way, that's not what this command is telling us. He's not saying don't say the name Jesus in a negative way or in vain because that's not what it mean so like what is the name of god well let's ready to go backwards in our bible so we came from exodus 6 we're gonna go back to exodus 6 okay we actually read this and i didn't point it out but i hope that you remember reading this in exodus chapter 6 in verse number 2 and 3 we read this already there's something so interesting hidden in our scriptures exodus chapter 6 verse number 2 god spoke to Moses and said to him, I am 
the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. In the Hebrew, that would be El Shaddai. Have you ever heard that term, El Shaddai? That is God Almighty. He says, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. So does, does this suddenly mean that the name of the Lord is the Lord? You notice how it's in all capitals. Anytime you see it in your Bible in all capitals, it's talking about the divine name. And I won't keep you in suspense. The name of the Lord is not the Lord. And it is my personal opinion. My personal opinion. This is not for all of you, but this is for my personal opinion. I think we as believers are missing a lot when our Bibles don't include the actual divine name of the Lord. We just keep calling him by a title. The word Lord is the word in Hebrew is Adonai. Adonai is a generic term very similar to God. Lord means any Lord or master could be considered an Adonai, and yet our Bibles continue to call him the Adonai. And I get it, but we're, why not his name? Like, what is his name? He was El Shaddai to, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who is he now? In Exodus 3, if we could go back just a couple more chapters. In Exodus 3, we're going to find Moses wandering the wilderness, having left Egypt, having, having escaped for his life. He is now walking with some sheep 40 years after running for his life. And he comes upon a burning bush in the wilderness. And out of the bush, he begins to speak. It's so cool. In Exodus chapter 3, I think it's in verse number 2, it actually says the angel of the Lord was in the bush. The angel of the Lord. In verse number 4, but notice it says in verse number 4 that God spoke to him out of the bush, which this is cool. The angel of the Lord is God. Interesting. What a God we have. It, it blows my mind. It blows my mind. Well, God in the bush begins to have this conversation with Moses and basically says, Moses, you're going to bring my people out of Egypt. And Moses is like, like okay, well, now I got this question though. If you, if you want me to do that and I go to the people and say, hey, our God told us to, to leave and I'm bringing you out, they're going to say, who sent you? And so Moses says, What's your name? Let's look at it. Verse 13. Exodus chapter 3, verse number 13. It says this. It says, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers, stop, stop, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who is that? Do we already know who that is? How has he revealed himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Help me out, please. El Shaddai. If I come to the people of Israel and say, El Shaddai has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? So before we read the next verse, which of course if you have a Bible, you're already ahead of me, and so you're looking at it already, so don't cheat, right? Before we read the next verse, can I, can I ask you to consider this? If Moses is asking God his name, what does that clearly tell us? He doesn't know his name. 
Why doesn't he know his name? Well, we just read in chapter 6, he had not revealed his name yet. Moses, at this burning bush, is going to hear the divine name of God for the first time. <laughs> How cool. What could it be? Look at verse 14. God said to Moses, in answer to what is my name, God said to Moses, I am who I am. Okay. In the Hebrew, that would be aye, ashur, aye. And then God says, he goes on, he says, and he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am, aye has sent me to you. So, Heye means, and you could see this a couple of verses up earlier where God was saying to Moses, I will be with you. He actually said, Heye, up there. So, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. That is the divine name of God. I am who I am. What does that even mean? I am who I am. I think there's two cool things. I think there's a whole lot, but I think there's two really cool things. First, God was explaining his existence. Like, okay, let me, let me tell you, Moses. I am eternally existent. I was, I am, and I will be. Everything else, everyone else is always dependent on me for their existence. I exist, period. That's so cool. What a God we have. Like atheists always come and approach this question like, well, yeah, if everything has a beginning, like where did your God come from? That's the cool thing. No, our God simply is, always has been, always will be, and he is. But in stating that, he was also providing assurance to Moses and to us today. And here's what he's saying. You, you think I didn't see as, our as, as my people were suffering for 400 years in Egypt? You think I didn't see that? Hey, let me tell you, Moses, I was. And hey, Moses, I am with you now. I am. And hey, Moses, I already know where we're going because I will be there. So when he says, I am who I am, he's just like, he's saying, this is who I am, and this is who I want you to know that I am as your God. But did you notice, did you, did you notice how he said immediately, he didn't, he didn't say go back to the people and say, I am who I am. He said, go back to the people and say, I am sent me. Because what he was doing is he was taking this divine name and he was bringing it down to a shortened name that people could use. It's so common. Like if you were to read the story of Jacob who had 12 sons, his youngest son, his name is Benjamin. When Benjamin was born, he was named the son of my right hand. That's a long name. Who wants to go around saying, hey, the son of my right hand, go get me a drink of water. Hey, the son of my right hand, go get my sandals. You know, like, like he's not going to do that. So they shortened the son of my right hand to the words, the son of hand, into the Hebrew name Ben-Hemon, Ben-Hemon, Benjamin, right? So what God is doing is he's saying, let me tell you who I am. I am who I am. And when you talk to me, just simply call me I am. The problem was, there was no way to describe the I am. There was no word. 
Never has there been someone who was and is and is to come. No. Like they had a word for was because that was some, something that happened in the present. They, a past, that was, they had a word for is because that was the present. They had a word for the future who, who will be or is to come. But this God was saying, take that, the was. Take that, the am. Take that, the will be. Put it all together. And what do you got? You got me. Four consonants came out of that. Four Hebrew consonants. The top behind me is the Hebrew. Below that is the English word, the English letters, Y-H-V-H, and it would have been pronounced Yahweh, Yahweh. And when it comes into English, it's Yahweh, Yahweh. But see, the problem was at some point in their culture, the name Yahweh, the name of God was so holy that it couldn't be spoken and it couldn't be written. So how do they communicate Yahweh without saying Yahweh? Well, they, they came up with the, the word Adonai, Lord. The problem was, as I said, Lord is just kind of this generic term for any master or, 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 or lord or leader. And so they had to figure out a way, how do we make sure that then when we write Adonai, they know it is the Adonai. So they came up with a combination. This is pretty interesting. Yahweh is the revealed name of God that means I am. Adonai is just the word Lord in Hebrew. So they said, we've got to find a way to let people know we are talking about Yahweh without using his name. And if we just call him Lord, it's going to get confusing. So what they did, and if you see that third letter down behind me, they took the blue consonants of Yahweh, and they took the vowels of Adonai, and they brought them together to come up with the Hebrew word Yahovah, Yahovah. And when Yahovah is translated into English, we say Jehovah. There are many people who would think Jehovah is the name of God. Jehovah is not the name of God. Jehovah is a combination of his revealed name and the, the vowels of Adonai. But the name of God is Yahweh. Yahweh. In the New Testament, when, when Jesus will say, I am He'll use the Greek words ego, imi, as we read the New Testament. And so we have to understand, we're going to take this name Yahweh, and we're going to run back to, I'm so sorry, I feel like I took so long to explain. We're going to run back to Exodus 20, and we're going to go back to that verse that we said, like, what does it even mean? Like, what does it mean to take the name in vain? And look at, look at Exodus chapter 20. Okay, are you there? Because I got to show you one really, really cool thing before we read. How did they choose the four consonants for Yahweh? Are you ready to have your mind go? Are you just tell just not? Are you ready for this? Okay. They took, they took the word for was. And they overlaid the word was onto the word is. Then they took those two words and they overlaid it onto the words will be. And check 
this out. This is how they got the name. I don't know why it's stuck. It's stuck. Help me out up there. It's, there's a, that's a video that should work. It was working. I was testing it yesterday. Ah! Anyways. What do you think, Zach? Oh, did it work? I can't see it. I can't see it up there. Can you try it one more time? That back screen didn't have it. There we go. All right. So they took the word was. They overlaid it onto the word is. They overlaid that onto the word will be. And you see the combination of, of those three, three words is the I am. Okay, so we're going to go back and we're going to read Exodus chapter 20. And now we know what the name of God is. So let's go back to Exodus chapter 20, right? And it says in verse number seven, you shall not take the name of, now we're going to insert the name, you shall not take the name of Yahweh, your God, in vain, for Yahweh will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Does that mean don't take, don't say the name Yahweh when you're cursing? What does it mean to take the name? The word take is actually, in Hebrew, it's most often translated carry, lift, or bear. Carry, lift, or bear. Not like take, or not like say, or not like use. It is to carry the name. Say, well, what what does it even mean to carry a name or to bear someone's name? Here's the amazing thing. Everyone in here is bearing someone else's name. When you were born or adopted, you began to carry a name that was not yours, that was given to you. And when I was born, I was given the name Hassie, and my dad would sit me down before I left, and he said, boy, remember your name. Carry that name rightly, because it wasn't yours, it was given to you. Every one of us was born with that name, but here's the, here's the crazy, amazing thing, right? What have we been saying that, that has been going on at Mount Sinai? It is Yahweh taking his people, and it is becoming a marriage covenant. Guess what happens when two people get married? I love you so much. I want you to take my name, and I love you so much. I will take your name. And I will carry that name with me wherever I go. Like one of my favorite things to do at a wedding, when, when, when my son got married back in December, like I loved giving them the vows. But like my favorite part is just to step out and go, ladies and gentlemen, it is my great pleasure and my honor to introduce to you for the first time Mr. and Mrs. Troy Hassey. Before those vows were exchanged, she wasn't Mrs. Troy Hassey. She was Miss Laney Corbin. After they exchanged vows, she was no longer Laney Corbin. She had accepted and taken to bear a new name. And that name now, my daughter-in-law's name is Laney Hassey. And at Sinai, when, when God was saying to his people, I want to marry you, let's have a covenant vow. I promise to be your God. I'll be your God. Oh, now it makes sense. 
and you will be my people because you have now taken my name. And then he says, do not carry or bear my name in vain. What does that mean? It means if you are a wife and you take somebody's name, you take your husband's name, but then you don't live as if he is your husband, you find other men to give your hearts to and your love to and your desires to, you are bearing the name of your husband in vain. Husbands, if you give your wife, give your name to your wife and say, I want you to take my name, but then you give yourself to someone else, you have given that name in vain. And what Yahweh was saying is, I want to be your God. I brought you out of Egypt because I want to be your God and I want you to be my people and I will place my name on you as my people. But do not carry my name in vain. Don't go after other gods. Be mine. Ah. Oh. Isn't that just so cool? So you see how, how this, this fits into this whole marriage testimony that we've been talking about. It means that when Yahweh spoke the 10 words or 10 commands, however you want to approach it. He was doing much more than giving a law and requiring this is how you must live. We have the 10 commandments posted all over America thinking that this is how we're supposed to live. That's a covenant vow that says that is who we will be because we have given ourselves to you, Yahweh. He was taking a wife to himself and he was giving his people his name. Ah, oh, so cool. I'm totally running out of time, right? I, I, I've, I've got to close. But like this truth spills over into the rest of your Bible. Don't get your hopes up. I still have a few minutes left because I have to apply this, right? <laughs> but I would love to keep going on because this truth, this truth is why priests became, became priests. Why, why the people of God were called the kingdom of priests. Why there was a temple and a tabernacle, a tabernacle and then a temple built. This, this truth rolls all the way over into the New Testament on why the Holy Spirit was given, of why we get baptized. And this truth goes all the way into the book of Revelation and explains the mark of the beast. And we'll talk a little bit about that next week if you're interested. But right now, we just got to bring it to this close of like, how does this point us to Jesus? Because this is what it's all about, right? Jesus, only Jesus. So Jesus desired the name of Yahweh to be glorified. And so should we. This is so cool. I got, your Bible is just so cool. What is, what is the first thing Jesus says when he says, hey, disciples, let me teach you to pray? What does he say? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be what? First thing Jesus says to pray for. Hallowed be your name. <laughs> Why would Jesus care whether the name of Yahweh, the name of his father was to be glorified? Because he knows if we glorify his name, we will live as his people. 
If you were to read the Old Testament, especially like Jeremiah through Ezekiel, you will find the reason God brought judgment against his people was because they defiled his name. They did not hallow his name. It was defiled. And so Jesus comes. And what does Jesus do? Jesus bears the name of his father. I've come in my father's name. These works I do, I have done in my Father's name. These works I've done so that the, my, the name of my Father may be glorified. You know, you know what this whole leads me to think? Like, when was the last time that you or I prayed? And the first thing we prayed was for the name of God to be hallowed in the world, to be glorified, to be magnified and honored in the world. You know, if that's where our prayers started, we could pretty much, like, understand that the rest of it will take care of itself. The truth is, like, Jesus lived a perfectly holy life because what Jesus cared about most was the name of his Father. And I'll just tell you this, and this is true in my life. I'm not saying it's true about your life, but I, but I bet it'd be pretty close. What we pray for is often what we live for. Our prayers reveal our priorities. What are you praying for? That's what's most important in your life. God, I need money. Hmm. Is that what's most important? It, is that, it, might be, it might be the priority of many people. God, your name needs to be glorified as I leave my home today. That should be our priority. And, that, and you know what happens when we do that? When Jesus, when Jesus left heaven, Philippians tells us, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but when, 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 when Jesus left heaven, it says that he counted himself equal with God, but that equality was not something he was willing to fight for. He laid it aside, and he emptied himself of his glory, and he came, and he came in obedience to his Father. He humbled himself and took the cross, even death upon himself. And as a result of Jesus bearing his Father's name rightly, Look at what the Father does in verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name. Wow! So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus, the Christ, is Lord to the glory of God. Yahweh. Dude, does that excite you a little bit? Like, just be honest with me. Like, am I the only one that, that like, just kind of, ah, oh, man, I love that. Do you know what we're called? Christians. Do you bear that name? In vain? Or do you look like a Christ follower? Jesus desired for that name to be glorified, but he desired for the love of Yahweh to be experienced, and so should we. So John, in John 5, Jesus comes and says, like, I've come in my father's name, like he's representing his father. And at the very close of his life, John 17, I'm just going to read you a couple verses in John 17. This is Jesus saying, I have manifested or I have made known your name to the people who you gave me out of the world. In verse 26, it says, Jesus said, I have made known to them your 
name. I will continue to make it known. What is awaiting him? The cross. Through the cross, Jesus is making known the name of the Father to the world. Why? How? That's the love with which you have loved me, Jesus says, may be in them. Jesus went to the cross to make the name of his Father known so that the love of his Father may be experienced in the same way he did. We are people called Christians. Where the name of God is found, the love of God should abound. This group in here, this group in here should be the most kind, compassionate, loving, generous, serving, welcoming people in Plymouth. And I don't mean like this church, but I mean the churches who gather in the name of Jesus. People shouldn't say like, oh, you're a Christian? Yeah, you're a jerk. Christians are jerks. Like, no. Oh, how does that how does that hurt the name of our Father when the love of the Father is not experienced because the people who bear his name are bearing his name in vain? Last, Jesus desired the salvation of Yahweh to be received. And so should we. Oh, this, this, is, this is so cool. I know we're closing. I know we're closing, right? There are two times Jesus speaks the divine name. Two times. The first is in John 8. He's kind of arguing with the religious leaders and basically saying, you know, trying to defend himself a little bit. And, and, he's, and, and he's like, you know, your father Abraham desired to see my day. And they're like, how could you have seen Abraham? You're barely 50 years old. And this is what Jesus says. Watch, watch, watch. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. We read that and we're like, I don't even know what that means. Read in John 8. You know what the people he said that to did? They grabbed stones and they began to, like, we're going to kill you. You are claiming divinity. And he was because he is. Like, this is what Jesus was saying. I am Yahweh. I am. Man, they couldn't handle that. We understand what that means, though. It means Jesus is the I am. But Yahweh means the I am. So Yahweh is Jesus, and Jesus is Yahweh. That's that's how cool our God is, right? That is is who our God is. It's why after Jesus is resurrected, the name of Jesus becomes the answer. Right? Peter's going to say it, and I'm not going to read it, but Peter's going to say it to the crowds, and he's like, this Jesus, all right, I got to read it. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. The builders has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus claimed to be the way when he was here on earth because he knows outside of the I am, ain't no way. And I am, 
the I am. But what a God we have. Man, if salvation is found in the name of Jesus alone, he's our deliverer. You know what's so cool about the name Jesus? In Hebrew, it's Yeshua. You know what Yeshua means? Yahweh is salvation. Like, that's just like, that's just like those, those moments where he's just like, what? Yes, yes. The Greek name Jesus comes from the Hebrew name Yeshua, and Yeshua means Yahweh is salvation. So every time we say the name Jesus, we are saying Yahweh is our salvation. But Jesus is Yahweh, so Jesus is our salvation. But every time we say Jesus, we're saying, oh man, this is so good. That's just the first time Jesus says the name I am, the words I am. The second time. The second time Jesus, oh, sorry, the salvation of Yahweh comes through Jesus, but Jesus is Yahweh. The second time Jesus says, this is in John chapter 18, they're coming to arrest him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas has planted the kiss, the soldiers arrive. Jesus says, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am. And Judas who betrayed him was standing with them when Jesus said to them, I am. They drew back. And fell to the ground. The power of the name of Jesus. Peter and John said to this man, silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. In the Old Testament, David says, the name of God is a high and mighty tower to which I run. It is my fortress. Ha! Jesus is the name to which we run. It is the name to which brings salvation. And here's the thing. He has placed his name on his bride. And we as the church are the bride of Christ. That means, that means you have been marked with the name of Yahweh. And if you have been marked with the name of Yahweh, you don't need to be worried about being marked by anything else because you have been claimed. Okay. So then my last question. Do we live as if we are bearing his divine name in vain? Do we live as the bride of Christ? How often do you talk about them? You know, we love to talk about our teens. We love to talk about our kids and our grandkids. How about the name above all names? How about our groom? Do we love to talk about Jesus? Oh, we say Jesus changes everything. He should. He will. If we let him, would you pray with me? Oh, Father, oh, man, I, I could not wait to share that with your people. Because as we walk out today, we, we walk out as people of Yahweh. We walk out as people of the king. We are the people of our groom. We are the bride of Christ. Lord, may we live 
not just having a name on us. May we live bearing that name rightly, rightfully. May people, when they see us, may they understand and know that as we've been marked with your name, that we bear that name with joy, with graciousness, with goodness, with generosity, with, with love, with compassion, with helps, with service. May we live bearing the name rightly. You may be here today and you may not know the name Jesus as your own. Man, hey, there's nothing better. And it's not about praying a prayer. It's not about saying a few words and saying, I don't want to go to hell. No, this is about saying, I want to be one of the people of Jesus. If you're here today and you'd like to know that, man, I am going to stand down right down in front here while we stand and sing one more time before we leave. And we're going to sing Jesus, only Jesus, because we have to sing about this name today. And if you're interested in saying, hey, Brian, I'd love to know more about Jesus and making him mine and, and me making him mine and he's made, wanting to make me his, I will, I'll be standing down here. I'd love to share that with you. If you're saying, Brian, I've been carrying that name in vain, I'd love to pray with you. I don't know what God wants to do, but I know that God wants to do something in you to excite your heart about the name that you carry as one of his people. Lord, give us wisdom. Give us courage. Give us boldness. Give us your love as your people to carry your name wherever we go. May we not bear your name in vain this week. May we rejoice in the person and in the name of Jesus. In your name we pray these things.